Hey guys, on this week of the It's Telehealth podcast, I am incredibly excited to bring you our newest guest, an associate professor at Cal State Fullerton, a relationship coach, and the host of the Love Bites podcast, Dr. Tara. All right. So Dr. Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. You know, me and you were able to connect um, a couple weeks ago and, you know, your backstory and the things that you're doing out in the world from an academic side, but also on your personal relationship coaching side were incredibly interesting to me. And so I wanted to bring you on the show because, you know, you're a little bit different from the normal guests that we bring on here and your perspective and what you're doing in the world um, is incredibly important. Why don't you give everybody a little bit of a background and the things that you're doing, what you're doing out in the world and kind of how you're helping people get through some of the things when it comes to the side of the, their personal relationships? Ooh, love that question combo. I feel like I can talk about that for an hour. <laughs> uh, let's start with where I'm from. Can I tell you a little story? Absolutely. Okay, so I am Dr. Tara. I'm originally from Thailand, from Bangkok, Thailand. So to understand like how I got here, uh, what I had to, what I you know, went through as a person, as a woman, as a, an academic, as a coach, kind of have to know where I came from. So I came from Bangkok, Thailand, uh, in a very sexually conservative environment. I have never had sex ed in my life. Have you had sex ed? I remember having sex ed in fifth grade, and it, cons it was consumed by two days of one of the male teachers in our school separating the guys from the girls and then basically giving you an anatomy lesson, but never talking about any of the emotions, any of the drives on why we were going to be sexual older in life. But my sex education, like so many other people, have come from media and all of the other outlets that we've been exposed to. So I'd love to be able to kind of hear your perspective on that. Yeah, porn, right? Very true. Yes. Yeah. A lot of young people learn about sex from porn. So my sex ed was non-existent, like not even, not even anatomy, not even how to put a condom on or anything, just none. And my parents never talked about sex. Did your parents talk about sex? So a little bit of a personal experience for me was I remember I was probably like 12 years old and my dad came into my room and was like, hey, we're going to have a conversation about the birds and the bees. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And then he sat down and was like, so we'll do that. And then he just like ended up leaving the room and we never had the conversation. So oh. I was always like left on the cliffhanger of like, is this going to happen someday? Should I be on edge or like, what's up? You know, but I never was able to get back to that conversation with him. Oh my gosh. No. And, and see, like my parents didn't even try, like, you know, and I don't blame them. They were never given the talk either. They, right. No one gave them a sex talk. And now that they have kids, they don't know how to give a sex talk. They're very uncomfortable sexually. So I don't blame them. It's just the way the society was. So I had no sex ed, no sex talks. But when I started feeling like tingly down there, you know, I hit puberty and I was immediately like feeling all the sexual things, the the like tingly on my clitoris, the like when I go pee, the, you know, my friends started, started having like bigger boobs and stuff like that. So just like all the, all these like sexual feelings, like going to swim class and seeing like penises and like, oh, how come I don't have that? Right. Um, just feeling all kinds of things. And I remember just not being able to go anywhere and tell anyone about how I'm feeling. My sister was five years older than me. So we weren't like super close. Mm -hmm. um, my parents don't talk about sex. My, I went to a Catholic school. So <laughs> no talking about sex there. Um, it was so uncomfortable. And I mean, I came, I came up in <clears throat> high school. I went to an all guys Catholic school as well. And the sex conversation was kind of a fear-based conversation. It was, you went on a retreat for one day out of the week each year. And our Catholic school minister would talk about if you have sex, you are going to get chlamydia or you can be exposed to these things. So abstinence is the answer. That's how we got exposed to that in high school. Wow. Yeah. So there's so much research now uh, indicating that abstinence based sex ed is more harmful than helpful. So in sexuality research, we are trying to advocate for sex positive, uh, comprehensive sex ed. 
but yeah, back to just not knowing much about anything and had no one to talk to. I remember feeling very uncomfortable, very alone. Uh, and sexual at the same time, so it's a very confusing time. <laughs> and then fast forward quite a lot to me coming to America for graduate school. And I remember first I came to Los Angeles, and it's very like sexually liberated comparing to Thailand. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa! Like there's sex shops. There's no you know like sex toys uh, shops right. And I recently talked to a history of sex toy person uh, expert, and she said like, yeah, all of that was booming in the 2000s, but before that it was illegal. So I didn't wow. know that. Uh, but I came here and just you know like people were dressing much more revealingly uh, than my culture. Uh, people were talking about sex, and then at that time, sex in the city was huge. Right. And I, my friend, my really one of my best friends now introduced me to it, and we would binge a ton of Sex in the City because it was all out. Uh, and I remember vividly, you know, watching Samantha Jones, and just like, gosh, like how can I? I know she's fictional. How can I be so unapologetic, so confident, and experiencing all of this pleasure and uh, basically have the confidence to speak up for myself sexually and what I want, right? So that was my first time I had like a perception, perspective shift. And then in my PhD program, my friend took me to a sex toy shop and uh, helped me buy my first dildo. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then ever since then, I bought a ton of vibrators (laughs) and just embarked on this like sexual awakening journey. Because at that time, I've never had an orgasm. Uh, and I was just like, gosh, you know, uh, I hear about orgasms all the time in the media and you, it was cool. You mentioned media and where you learn sex, right? That's where I learned about sex too. And all the women in the media had orgasms was wrong with me. So I started just exploring more and more and doing research. And in my PhD program, I study relationships. Uh, I study human communication, but with specific specialization in relational Uh, communication so in relationships and I remember learning from professors that study like attachment theory a professor that created uh, affection exchange theory and at that time I was also going through a bunch of like um, I'm I call myself a serial monogamist is that something that you participated in in your 20s I mean I I have been somebody who's gone through my phases so I've been yeah. in relationships with individual people, and then I haven't been in relationships where I've been able to, you know, dabble and experience different types of relationships. And now I've been in a relationship for about four years now. So I've been with, committed with my girlfriend, Malia. And, you know, being able to express yourself in those different ways with somebody who can actually understand you was something that was a completely different experience from what I experienced in my early 20s. Uh-huh. Because like you said, you know, our sexual relationships are so intertwined with media. And so I often hear conversations about girls who have boyfriends, but they don't have good sexual relationships because that boyfriend is often kind of operating from a place of what he thinks he's supposed to be doing because of what the media tells him. And the girl is like, this isn't as fulfilling for me as it should be. And so I'd like to kind of hear your perspective on that if I'm kind of, you know, sharing a common experience with other people. My friends and I call this a uh, resume boyfriend. Resume boyfriend, okay. <laughs> yeah, because like you stay with them because they're perfect. They check every box, but there's no chemistry, no sexual energy, no attention, like mm-hmm. no sexual attention. But when you're in your 20s, you're either like single and you're actively dating and maybe have an active casual sex life mm-hmm. or you're in a monogamous relationship with this person who possibly check every box, resume boyfriend, and just have no chemistry with, but hey, like he checked every box. Right. So yeah, I kind of, I operated in that framework for a long time. So I had many boyfriends uh, in which all wonderful people checked every box, but just like never any chemistry. I didn't have a good sexual relationship with them. And do you think that comes from the other examples that we have in our lives? And I'll give you an example of what I mean. So when we think of our parents, we never think of the, about them through like a sexual lens. We never have those types of conversations. Like I said, I never had a conversation with my parents. 
we never talked about it. And so do you think that almost from a young age, we're subconsciously thinking that maybe sex isn't a huge component of each relationship. And that's where the resume boyfriend kind of comes from. You are so on point there. Yeah. Because like our whole life being, you know, a teenager and then a young adult and then just thriving, try to become an adult who is like well-functioning in a society. The only thing that society talks about and our family talks about is becoming successful. Mm-hmm. And by successful, they never measure that with like being happy in a relationship, like getting married maybe is a success, but being happy in a relationship, have a sexual, sexually fulfilling relationship isn't a part of the success definition. Success definition is getting paid well. So like wealth is a part of it, getting paid well, getting a prestigious job, mm-hmm. uh, right? Buying a house, uh, having a, an active social life. So like sexual wellness is nowhere to be found. And that's very interesting to me because as you kind of sit here and talk about that, I think about all of those factors in life that we're taught to aspire to be, have a foundational job, have a happy family. But all of these things are kind of viewed from the outside or from like Mm -hmm. a social media lens, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I often kind of, as you were talking about that, I naturally started to think about are marriage divorce rates so high because maybe we're prioritizing the wrong types of prioritization in our relationships, right? I mean, is it always the job that's going to keep you and your wife together? Maybe. But is that human connection and understanding somebody at a deeper relationship level what some people really want, if not the majority of us? Really? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I think you're preaching to the choir here because... uh I often talk about how after getting married, or maybe if you choose to not get married, but after cohabitating, like living together for, let's say, five years, um, a lot of people don't put in the effort. Mm -hmm. And that's just the fact. And I get like a lot of hate for saying things like that. But I I think it's true is uh, the effort is necessary. Never stop putting in the effort. (laughs) And what does effort mean to you? How would you describe effort to the audience who's listening to this? Yes. Oh, yes. Hi, audience. <laughs> effort is uh, so self-effort and other effort, right? So self-effort is like making sure you're healthy, making sure you're, you know, eating right, exercising, because all of this goes into the, you know, uh, attraction and the ability to even have an active sex life to begin with. Uh, people ask me, Hey, you know, my, my dick doesn't work. Like I can't get hard. I ask, like, do you exercise? Like, yeah, sometimes like how often once a month, that's why, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you have issues first examine how you live, right? How do you eat? If you eat a lot of uh, bad, like sugary stuff and a lot of carby stuff, I'm not saying I don't enjoy pasta and pizza. Like I do, but I do it in moderation. Because I know when I'm super bloated and I don't feel good about myself, I'm not going to feel sexual. And to me, prioritizing and putting in the effort for myself is very important as uh, so does my partner. And that's why we're together so well, because we both value personal improvement in every way, including health and looks, right? Attractiveness. Um, Another thing is the other uh, effort, which is ask communicating sexual communication right asking what else uh you can do for them to pleasure them i call this a a generous lover right and after being married for so long or together for so long people forget that they're no longer a generous lover they're a rushed lover let's just get it over with oh that breaks my heart or let's schedule it let's schedule it out right on tuesday nights we are experiencing those moments of urge and so it should fit into our schedule like that as well Uh, interesting point. Uh, There's two camps in this schedule sex. So Mm -hmm. the first camp is when you schedule sex, you increase so much more anxiety rather than positive anticipation uh, that it's not doing the relationship any favor. Mm -hmm. So that's like the first camp, like no schedule sex because it uh, causes anxiety. And then the other camp is yes, schedule sex. We're busy adults we have a full calendar um if we have it in there then we know to number one not overstuff yourself when you go 
out to a dinner date with your partner. Number two, like, you know, maybe uh, get get dressed up, feeling really good about yourself, uh, right? Like prepare mentally for sex. Mm -hmm. So people that are for schedule sex think it helps people uh, manage, mismatch sexual desires better so that you don't lose track of having sex. So at least you have sex once a week, for example. I totally understand that. And I didn't really think about that side of the coin, right? I mean, because like you said, I kind of want to reverse here because I want to like reverse engineer my way to this comment. You know, we talked about being in a relationship, healthy, sexual means taking care of yourself physically, right? And being able to make sure that we're eating appropriately and exercising, which I believe kind of still today is an undervalued asset in your overall mental health as well, because we talk about that a lot on this show. If you are exercising, you get our release of endorphins, which makes you feel good. You feel better about yourself, which gives you the confidence to be able to approach your par- your partner appropriately. But then we talk about being able to eat appropriately makes a lot of sense. Because I think there's a lot of things that are at play today with our dietary consumption, a lot of processed foods, a lot of dairy, a lot of other things that we're eating that kind of make you feel sluggish. And you don't want to have the confidence to go approach your partner at that point in time when you don't feel good. And so all of those things make so much sense to me as long as we are putting in the effort and we can schedule out kind of consciously what we're going to be doing sexually with our partners makes a ton of sense to me. I mean, that makes a lot more sense now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of two cams. Personally, I do like a mix of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, No scheduling most of the times, but like, let's say this week I have a packed schedule. I'm traveling three days out of the seven. I'm going to say, Hey, Friday, let's have a date night and a little sexy time. (laughs) So, you know, I like that too. Cause like that way he knows and there is an expectation, right? So he like preps for it. Yeah. (laughs) It's nice. Yeah. But, uh, Talking about effort, you know, that's something that I teach in my class at Cal State University Fullerton is, um, well, let me back up a little bit. Six years ago, I got my dream job as a professor and I started uh, teaching sexual communication at Cal State. So in this class, I teach various things from, you know, sexual debut, which is a new term for losing your virginity. We don't use that anymore of the negative connotation, like losing your virginity. Okay. Uh, we now say sexual debut. <laughs> I like that a lot more. Me too. Like, when did you have your sexual debut? It's such a positive thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I teach that. And then I teach, you know, sex throughout the ages, like sex, before you start dating someone sex while you date someone sex after you get you after we break up or divorce sex when you're older so teaching this class in my lecture it is embedded in it that effort should never go away and I think that's what my students get or I hope that that's what if they have learned nothing I hope they've learned one thing that let's put in the effort for ourselves and our partner Well, it was interesting because when I first came across you as an associate professor at Cal State Fullerton, I started to think about, you know, some of your other things that you're doing, like with the Love Bites podcast. And I naturally went to the place of thinking, this seems kind of forward for a university to be, I guess, conjoined with somebody like Dr. Tara. Because Uh from my personal experience, I was never putting the academic sphere in the sexuality sphere whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so I know you talked about in our previous conversation, how supportive your university has been of you as well. Can you talk about a little bit of that? Yeah, it's so important that the institution, which is like almost like the gatekeeper for a lot of times, right, Uh, supports you and your work. And I mean, you know, let me tell you a little secret. I'm a tenured professor, so they can't fire me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, even minus that fact, I was already doing outrageous things in the public before I was tenured. And mm-hmm. my uh, supervisor, which is the chair of my department and the dean, they're really supportive of my work uh, of normalizing sex talks in public. And it seems forward and outrageous now, but I honestly think in 10 years, it won't be. Well, you know, you compared yourself to somebody who many of the older listeners to the show will know. So Dr. Ruth, you said that you want to be this generation's Dr. Ruth. Give me a little bit more understanding about that. I am Dr. Ruth meets Ali Wong meets Lucy Liu. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, because Dr. Ruth was so, so ahead of her time. I mean, she was already talking about sex, orgasm, anal, like in what, like in the 80s? Mm-hmm. So that's insane, right? At the time you think, wow, this is outrageous and forward. So I'm hoping that whatever I'm doing now that seems outrageous and forward is not in 10 years. Well, I mean, I think we have to be aware of what the current environment is showing us. You know, we are exposed to more graphic and sexually positive images every single day. You know, one of the great examples that I think about, and my girlfriend loves this, is Rihanna. She came out with her own lingerie line, Fenty, and part of her annual, I would say, fashion show is with a whole bunch of plus-size models. And so seeing people who look like us, who are being praised for their sexuality and their natural shape is something that I think is incredibly empowering. And so, you know, as a pocket in time, I think we need a new generation, Dr. Ruth, to be able to have these conversations and normalize, you know, like the picture is behind you, sex is normal. It's incredibly important. And we need to kind of frame it that way because it's a natural part of our lives. None of us would be here if our parents didn't get together (laughs) and have sex in the first place. You know what I mean? That's true. And hopefully it was good sex too. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so too, right? Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, that's really encouraging. I'm, uh, I'm just, you know, doing my best with my passion. And that's really, that's so helpful to being someone who is, who studies passion and sex and intimacy to have a fulfilling sex life in my personal life. So it's like in a way selfish, like I'm studying all of this. I'm interviewing experts, sex experts. Uh, I'm talking about sex all day long. So yeah, it makes me feel sexual and it helps with my sexual wellness and sexual fulfillment. Um, I think that's why I often tell people if you feel kind of lack for, for lack of a better word, sexually dormant, Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's been stagnant in your relationship. Maybe it's just, you know, it needs like the oomph, uh, but you don't want to just start like having anal sex for fun. <laughs> What's a baby step? A baby step is talking about sex in your relationship. And you can mention literally anything. You know, you can be like, have you ever seen Fifty Shades of Grey? Which mm-hmm. is, it's debatable if it's a good movie or not. <laughs> but it's like ca- keeping sex in your relationship repertoire. Right. And, you know, the communication aspect of things is incredibly important to me. I also, when I was in my undergrad, was a communications major. And I just thought it was so interesting that communication is really the foundation of our relationships. And then when we take it a step farther, you're talking about a specific area of our relationships and our sexuality needing to also have comfortable, active communication, which is so important. You know, one of the biggest things that I've seen since the pandemic occurred, and this is kind of where I want to take this conversation next, is the explosion of technology and how we can connect with each other. I know that you, from a telehealth perspective, have been participating in sex coaching and relationship coaching. Can you explain a little bit of what that looks like for everybody? Yeah. uh, Before I go there, I wanted to share a quote, which is, Almost all relationship problems uh, are communication problems. And, you know, when you are recapping communication, it's so on point because most of relationship problems can be solved through communication practices, healthy communication practices. I mean, we see some of the best relationships, like you said, from a personal level. I feel like so many of us are envious of the couple, of the friends who have the ability to hash out the things that are bothering them. And, you know, I have a, I read this book one time that talked about the concept of conflict. And when we avoid conflict, we're basically taking something in front of us and throwing it over our back shoulder. And conflict builds up to be something of a mountain behind us. So when we turn around, now we have these gigantic issues that we never addressed. And the way to get ahead of those things is dealing with some sort of conflict, if that's large, bad, good, whatever it is, and dealing with it in the moment because you don't have all of that baggage behind you. You know, I fully stand behind the communication aspect of being a key part of all of our relationships. 100%. And gosh, I wish I knew this uh, before my last uh, failed relationship, you know, like 
my current relationship, I'm so, so much better at communicating problems up front. Mm -hmm. If I have any kind of negative feeling like in my body, in my mind about a situation, about what he did, I will immediately say it in a nice way. Like not nice, but <laughs> in a compassionate way. Like I will express my concern immediately. But in my previous relationships, I have never done that. I had mad people pleasing issue. Mm -hmm. uh, so in the past, I just, yeah, put it, put it on my shoulder, put it on my shoulder. I swear uh, I had like chronic shoulder and neck issue because of all that stress that I was combining, <laughs> like just never really sharing the issue. Yeah. Um, talking about sharing the issue. So I use, uh, mainly I use Zoom to do my sex coaching and relationship coaching. And I find during the pandemic, it was uh, very popping. Like a lot of people were in a relationship. They now have to be in a house together 24 seven. There were a lot of conflict, a lot of, I guess, realizations or revelations. And uh, people were reaching out to relationship coaches and sex coaches. So it was um, very, business was very booming using Zoom. Uh, doing telehealth, like sex coaching during COVID? Well, I think a huge part of that is, you know, we talk about the experience of COVID for so many, and now we are in the same environment as our partners and as our family so much more often. And now the opportunities to be able to express ourselves in a physical or sexual manner are more readily available as well. And so do you think that the pandemic in itself kind of was a magnifier for maybe we're experiencing some of these issues in our relationship and we need to get the help to be able to deal with some of these things or what was your two cents on that i like that analogy it is i think um for many for i mean for millions i believe it was a magnifier uh because before covid um a lot of us are living this like autopilot life mm -hmm. busy 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 packed calendar just you know going to work get go to happy hour come home crash like that's kind of a, a summary of a young adult life right like go to your corporate job try to like climb that corporate ladder or maybe your business and then happy hour and then dinner and then crash so i think with pandemic it allows people to closely examine perhaps the little issues that they didn't have to face mm -hmm. Because back then you were just going to be out the door the next day to go to work. And maybe the problems will just dissolve itself. But now that you're home, you're both on Zoom working and gosh, you know, just can't live with this person anymore. Or that's so, so annoying. I have to say something. Then now you're realizing, holy shit, uh, I have to confront this issue. Yeah. I mean, I think you're playing such a key role in so many different relationships. And even people who are listening to this conversation might find themselves kind of, I guess, realizing that they have some of these challenges in their lives as well. So what would be some of your advice if somebody doesn't have the ability to get to a coach like you and they want to be able to improve their sexual relationship or at least start that conversation? Can you give us a little bit more detail on some exercises that we should try, some things that we should be trying to do in our daily lives? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, also, I wanted to say, you know, coaching to me is optimization. You're optimizing your life just like why you take vitamins. You don't need it, but you're optimizing your health. So it's the same thing. You don't necessarily have to have a pressing issue to have a relationship coach. Maybe you just want to optimize it, like taking a vitamin. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have the capacity, either financial or time or whatever to get a coach, and you want to start something within your relationship. And let's assume there's no like major issue that already happens. Because if there is, then perhaps exercises don't work as well. There's a major issue that needs to be hashed out with a professional, mm -hmm. right? Uh, let's say you have uh, like, quote, unquote, regular relationship, uh, where you want to explore more uh, sexual wellness activities, if you will, I would highly recommend three things. One, sexual meditation. One of my favorite things to do. I have a list of guided sexual meditation on YouTube that you can go check out, but then there's also, uh, also other creators that make them too. So try sexual meditation. It can you will... give a little bit of a detail on like kind of what that is? That's the first time I'm hearing that terminology. So I'd love to know more. 
Yeah. I love sexual meditation. So, um, it's just like a normal meditation practice, but the focus is on sexual sensations and your sexual organ. So you have to go listen to the sexual guided sexual meditation that I have. Then you'll know where I guide you. It okay. basically, I guide you through your body to like feel more sexual. Okay. Uh, so I, that's sexual meditation. That makes a lot of sense to me because I feel like <clears throat> at least me personally, and I might be a victim of this, you know, I operate from such a business heavy mindset all the time that sometimes I feel like switching into those moods is really challenging for me because I've always got things going on. And so I think about, or at least how I frame it is maybe sexual meditation gives me the opportunity to kind of start making those connections in my brain and feeling my body a little bit more than I once did, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I love that you share that because that's most people's issues is mm -hmm. they come home from work. Their body is super tight, right? Very right. tense. And the brain was work, 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 work all day. And now you're expected to just like have sex. Like, how do you start when your partner touches you? You, you maybe cringe a little because you're still like work mode, you know? Uh, and that's not even like, um, I don't even see that as, a, that as an issue per se. I think it's just like normal right. like for us to feel really tight and tense when we come back from work. So I love that you share that because think of sexual meditation as a transition in a speech. Intro body conclusion, right? But you need transitions, right? So yeah, like transit, it's important to find a thing, find something that is, you know, sexual, but a little bit more neutral to feel comfortable getting into that space and the, the mindset. So a five minute sexual meditation can be really good. That makes perfect sense to me. I mean, it sounds like doing any other type of exercise, right? You never just go to the gym and start cranking out your exercise <laughs> at hundred percent. You always need some type of warm up to get into that space and get into that mindset. So thank yes. you for communicating that it makes a lot of sense to me. Yes, I love it. And sexual meditation, there's solo and there's couples. So for couples that want to try new things and want to increase more passion and novelty in their relationship, try couples sexual meditation naked. Okay. Yeah. It's really fun. I know you will. <laughs> no, I'm definitely going to definitely going to go over to your YouTube and I'll link it beneath <laughs> the comment or beneath the description here on the actual post. So other yeah. people can check it out as well, but I'll definitely yeah. be checking it out for sure. Oh yeah. I love doing it. It's such a great way to, um, yeah, get into that sex mindset. And so the second thing that I would say, so my first thing that I really like is sexual meditation. The second thing that I would say couples can really benefit, um, from this practice is regular sexy check-ins. Okay. So, what is that? Um, like, let's say, uh, have you ever done just like a conversation that is like a relationship check-in? Like, Hey, how are you feeling about our relationship? I think that that really breaks down to the communication aspect of things as well. And I kind of refer to that as self auditing. Um, you know, often we get so far into our process that we never kind of take a step back and reevaluate. Um, you know, that's one thing that I'm very proud of in my current relationship with Malia is we try and communicate as much as possible. And when we first got into our relationship, sometimes our biggest frictions would come from those communications. But now we look at that as being one of our biggest strengths in our relationship is being able to talk about these things and then being able to talk about and audit where we're at in our relationship is super important as well. Oh, I, I love that you said audit because I do that quite often. And actually my partner and I, uh, we had like, communication conflict at the beginning as well because okay. we have different co communication styles and I understand I can sound very assertive borderline aggressive sometimes so he will say like you know like ouch you know uh gosh that's not nice so I'm like oof sorry like someone has to tell me because I'm just such a straightforward person with no filter sometimes yeah. I say things it's not necessarily like directly with that meaning, but you know what I'm saying, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, totally. So sexy check-ins are just like a relationship check-in, right? How, how are you feeling about our relationship? But a sexy check-in is how are you feeling about our sex life right now? 
and yep. it can just come out smooth like that, smooth as silk. How are you feeling about our sex life right now? How are you feeling about our sex life right now? I Honestly, ask that every month. I was gonna say that sound that sounds like something incredibly easy to do, but that sounds like something incredibly scary for I know yeah. a lot of people to ask that question. So how do we build up the courage, I guess you would say, to be able to ask a question like that? That's so important, but also so direct and appropriate. Yes, I love that. Uh, building sexual confidence is key. And it was a part of my, it was re really the main point of my TED talk last year uh, was sexual confidence is key for long term sexual satisfaction, because that confidence allows you to communicate. So how do you build sexual confidence? Uh, one, sexual meditation, there's research that shows uh, that type of meditation helps building sexual confidence uh, Two, which is basically the third practice I was going to suggest is journaling, mm. sex journaling. So journal uh, what feels good for you, what doesn't feel good for you, any kind of sex uh, issue that's coming up or something that you feel like that's not right or something you need more. Maybe you're in a relationship now and you feel like, gosh, I wish we have more sex right? We're so busy. We're in love, but we're so busy. We, you know, haven't had sex for three weeks. I just wish we can have sex at least once a week, write that down in your journal. But it, for those of you that are already journaling, it's easy, right? Have like one sentence about sex every day. Just okay. one sentence, literally add one sentence. Uh, like this morning, uh, when I journal the, my one sentence was, uh, that gosh, my partner's ass looks so hot. <laughs> There you go. I think that I think that that's important to build momentum, though, because you yeah. know, like we talked about in the very beginning of this conversation, we're often not thought how to healthily express healthily express our sexuality and our feelings that we have. And so, journaling is a great way to be able to get those feelings out, get them outside of our head, and get the confidence and being able to build that momentum to have that conversation. I love that. Yeah, totally. It helps. And uh, for those that are journaling every already, it's easier to just add one sentence about sex, keep it in your thought. Uh, for those of you that are not journaling, highly recommend you start journaling. And if it's like too much to journal every day, try journal once a week, like on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, it helps like journaling. There's a lot of research in the mental health realm that shows journaling is highly beneficial. So yeah. Add one sentence about sex in your journaling uh, routine. And I would say one other thing that uh, positive psychology would recommend is self-affirmations. And in my own practice, I do it every day as a, that's my morning routine. When I like brush my teeth mm -hmm. and I'm done, I look at myself in the mirror and I say, you're an amazing lover. Uh, and I just do that naturally now. At the beginning, it was so awkward. At the beginning, it was really funny. I would do it. And I would just giggle. I'm like, this is stupid. But now I've done it so much so that it's true for me. You know, I brush my teeth, you know, and before I leave, I just look at the and I said, you're an amazing lover. And then I leave. It's a, it's a part of my morning routine. It sounds silly, but it works. And there's positive psychology research to show that, that affirmations work. Being able to speak that into existence is a huge component of something that I think is incredibly important. You know, I'm a huge advocate for positive psychology mm -hmm. and those small reminders make a huge difference for us. And mm -hmm. we don't get to often receive those things from the outside. So mm -hmm. speaking those into ourselves makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm a huge believer in we, the outside world that we see is a reflection of what we see inside. And so being able to speak those things into existence, being able to have the confidence to be able to pursue some of those outbound conversations with our partners is incredibly valuable. You know, I love how this conversation has gone today because I think it highlights so many key aspects in the things that are underneath the surface for us. And I loved how we started off the conversation by saying, you know, we're always thought to aspire to be successful and have the car and have the job and have the family and have all these things. But there is a sixth component in there, if I were to list them, that really comes down to the humanization of us. And, you know, I kind of want to ask the question of you, what is your perspective on love languages and how do those play into our relationships? You know, a lot of, uh, academics don't like love languages as a mm -hmm. concept because they think it's like hoax. Uh, but me as a practitioner, 
I think it's helpful. It allows people to describe what they need with these vocabulary. So I don't hate it. I actually like it. Uh, for example, you know, my with my partner, I I'm able to use the language of like, hey, you know, I uh, would appreciate more gifts because mm. like gifts coming from my culture, like from Thailand, like in my culture, gifts is huge. Like you gift people all the time, and it's like so, so embedded in how I view like care. Right. And it doesn't have to be huge. It it can literally be like a brownie or like you know like just a little gift, but it allows me to feel that you care and that you love me and you thought of me today. So I like periodic gifts, and I communicate like, hey, one of my love languages is gift, and I love it when I receive gifts. So I, love languages allows me to use the vocabulary and my partner to understand what I need to feel loved. So I don't hate it. I think that's a huge thing of once again breaking down the communication and giving us, I would say, standardized terminology that we mm -hmm. can communicate what we need through um, is super yeah. effective. You we know, like need my terms. We need terms. Everybody yeah. needs understood terms in society that we can yeah. reference to be able to communicate our thoughts. Because, you know, my girlfriend, um, she talks about like her love language is touch. So being able to be a good partner from my perspective is understanding what she needs to feel loved. And then me being able to consciously audit and think to myself, how can I make my partner feel good? By being able to be kind of that reciprocal need of what she's asking for effectively. And I've really tried to, over the last couple of years, take that very seriously um, because I recognize that these relationships we're in are not just one-way streets. And I think often, you know, so many of us are tied up in our own heads of what I'm going to accomplish and what I'm going to do. But having a healthy partner to be able to bounce things off of and be able to confide in and make feel good really feels good from an internal perspective as well. A lot of the leaders that I follow, that I admire, um, leaders in my field, leaders around the world, often talk about how important it is to have a high quality relationship mm -hmm. and how that fuels your career success even more, better than alone. Absolutely. I mean, I've heard a lot of leaders also talk about, you know, one of the biggest decisions you will make is who your partner is. Because yeah, that I think partner, that's, uh, what's his name? Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. I think that's what he said. Yeah. So there's a couple people that say that, but it's like you know that's the biggest decision you're really going to make is who are you spending your time with, who you're allowing into your safe space. But then do they also have the consciousness as a partner to be able to support your efforts that you're going through? And that comes down to so much time because we spend so much time with ourselves externally and internally, but then the people who we surround ourselves with are a direct reflection of what we value in life. And I think that's incredibly important. Yeah. I would say like, I'm a much better worker, like teacher, speaker when I'm sexually satisfied. Mm -hmm. My partner would say the same thing. He's a painter. Like he, he would say painting is his passion, but so does sex. Mm -hmm. And when he's sexually satisfied, painting is even sweeter. Yeah. I mean, having that energy kind of flow through us. And I think of chakras naturally, you know, yes, having our chakras yes, lined yes. up and flowing appropriately uh, makes sense because, you know, when I'm satisfied as a person, when I have enough sleep, sexually satisfied, have enough energy, um, have eaten enough food, I have so much more creative juice because I feel whole, if that makes mm -hmm. sense, rather than kind of subjugating or compartmentalizing parts of my life that I need fulfilled. I know when I wake up, I'm like, what do I need? Oh, I need water and orgasm. <laughs> there you go. That's so simple. I mean, if life could only be so easy, you know, I know. water and orgasm and my, my day is already better. Then I go get some sun. Yeah. So my like, question I would have for you is, so if we have people who are listening to the show and they are younger and they are looking to kind of have the confidence to communicate with their partner about things that they need, what would your suggestion be other than journaling, which you've kind of expressed to yourself? How do we outwardly communicate what our sexual needs are to our partner in a way that isn't going to hurt people's feelings? Because I think that's kind of, from a younger demographic perspective, wanting to tell somebody that they can improve in something is often maybe challenging or scary for a lot of people. But how do we communicate that effectively? Love that question. That is uh, one of the main questions I get on TikTok. 
Mm. is uh, how do I talk to a defensive partner? And let's not assume your partner is defensive, but let's say you do want to bring up a need of yours that's sexual, right? How, like what sexual communication can you do? Uh, remember, you have to always start with priming, baby steps. You can't go in and say like, I'm sexually dissatisfied. <laughs> you can't just go in and say like, you know, you never go down on me. Like none of that is ever going to work. So just make sure that you're patient, baby steps, start with priming. How do you prime? Uh, you can be like, hey, you know, like uh, I, I came across this uh, blog and they talk about uh, like, they talk about rimming. <laughs> you know, have you ever heard of that? you know, just bring up sex ideas, right? Um, having the capacity to even talk about a sex topic in a relationship is apparently hard for a lot of people. Yeah. So even like prime the relationship. So it's like loosey goosey talking about sex is okay first before you even mention an issue. Uh, then after maybe like uh, two, three weeks of being able to say things like that, you're probably going to be able to say like, hey, you know how much I love you, how committed I am to this relationship. And I really want us to like live our best life possible. Can I tell you something? Right. Ask for the permission. Can I tell you something? Because when people say yes, they feel now they feel obligated to actively listen because they said they agree to listening. Can I tell you something? When they said yes, start with, you know, uh, I have been feeling like I need uh, to have more intimacy with you. So remember, use like, don't say you need to do this more. Say, I feel this, right? I feel like I need more intimacy in my life. Um, and I love you and you turn me on. And it's such a huge part of how I feel good um, sexually. Can we consider having more sex in a week? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, healthy communication and then leading with priming activities makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Not jumping little into little sex things. <laughs> little sex things, right? Exactly. Not jumping into the deep end right away. But then, you know, being able to lead with priming activities makes a lot of sense because I know that's just an area that so many of us have intimacy, timacy, if, if that makes sense, right? We're timid yeah. about wanting to be able to express ourselves because like I said, in the very beginning, we're not really taught these things in school. We're not really taught how to effectively communicate. And we're always seeing other examples on social media about how we should be communicating effectively. So that's great advice. That's super important. Um, the next question I would ask you is, so from a sex coaching perspective, where do you think the space in general is going to be evolving over the next couple of years? Because we're becoming more sex positive. We're becoming more transparent about what our needs are. The conversation is happening more often. What are you seeing with, you know, the space in general? Uh, I think sex coaching will become more mainstream. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps, you know, uh, because of you. This is, yes, because of me, but uh, <laughs> well, also so many admirable sex coaches, sex experts, sex therapists around the world, really normalizing this work. Uh, and, you know, as a little secret between us and your listeners, there may or may not be a TV show with Dr. Tara coming out. There you so, go. Yeah, I think it will be, I think sex coaching is becoming more mainstream and accepting and accepted in our society. And that was your question was like a few years from now, right? Yeah, just in general, how is the space evolving? Yeah, I think it's going to become more mainstream. But if we're looking way in advance, like 2050, I feel like VR sex is going to be coming in. I yeah, think that I, that's I, a I attended like a sex tech um, talk. And I don't remember who was talking about this because it was a panel of a bunch of people, but basically they were mentioning VR and sex. And it's really interesting. Like I would be down to do a little VR threesome. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the technology is becoming so much more immersive and, you know, to be very transparent, the sex industry has led so much of our technological evolution, you know, Snapchat <laughs> images disappearing, um, internet transactions for credit cards and things like that have always been driven by those types of markets. Really? Yeah. So there's a lot of technology advances that have come from that sex space. And a lot of people want to shy away from that conversation, but we've always noticed that, 
sex work in general has always been a huge component of oh, all of yeah. our cultures, right? And so that's kind of interesting that that has always been a consistency in our world, but we continue to kind of shy away from those conversations as if they don't exist. And like at the beginning of our conversation today, you talked about how the abstinence model was so prominent for so long and it's created downstream effects that now we're kind of dealing with at a macro level in society. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like completely. And I, I wanted to share like, even, you know, in the future, uh, I can even see like having VR as like an educational tool of teaching like how to have healthy sex. <laughs> like it would be really cool uh, to have that as a part of the curriculum, but that's way, way, way far away from now. Yeah. I mean, but is it though? Because I don't know. you, you tell know, me, feel, you're a tech guy. I feel like I do feel we have like, the technology? I feel like the technology, at least from a wide range consumable perspective, is already out there. And the one of the things that I get concerned about, we kind of touched on this at the beginning of the conversation, was the male perspective of sex today is so skewed towards things that are created for virality. Aggressiveness is something that is kind of scary to me. Um, not really understanding that the women in our lives represent equal partners, but they also represent the mother of our potential children, right? And so the skew that we see in society, unfortunately, is so predominant because everybody has access to one of these devices. And the internet is not gated. It's always available. And so being able to kind of lean in as we're kind of going through what I would consider something of an education revolution is incredibly important because we see so many children today, unfortunately, being expect, exposed to like negative sex images. But we also see, you know, something that I thought was kind of crazy is children are getting pregnant younger and younger. They're also being exposed to sexual transmitted diseases younger and younger. And if you want to have the abstinence idea of just keep them away from it and they'll stay away from it, that doesn't seem to make as much sense to me as kind of leaning in and getting to the root of the problem. Right. Yeah. That's why I think, you know, with that research illuminating the fact that, you know, a lot of kids, uh, I guess, young adults who had abstinence-based education uh, reported not learning anything and had a negative experience and also uh, had like early unplanned pregnancy, mm -hmm. right? A, a lot of data that came out that it does not work. But at the same time, I don't want everyone to think I'm advocating for like, you know, everyone to try to have, you know, all the casual sex all the time haphazardly. Like, that's not what I'm saying, because there is a slippery slope of people hearing me talk about how people should self ex should explore sexually when they're in their 20s. Mm -hmm. And they automatically think I'm saying everyone should sleep with everyone. You know, but if that's what something you want to do, like, you know, power to you. Uh, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we can healthily explore people uh, through our 20s and then find what we like and then just shape uh, the way we want to have a long term relationship in the future. If you've had no experience, it's really hard to say what you don't like. Mm -hmm. Don't you think? I think that that's exactly what you're saying, you know, but then in the, but then in the past, oh, but then like, there will be some people that say, well, that's not true. Like in our generation, you know, we stay together regardless. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't grow up with internet. You didn't grow yeah. up with internet. You didn't have all these things available. So like, maybe if you had it, you wouldn't stay together. Yeah. That's so very true. yeah, you can't say how things used to be because the society is not how things used to be. We adapt yeah. according to the society. We do. And technology is going to be an ever evolving component in our lives. Yeah. And the distribution and spread of information is quicker than ever before. Um, so thinking that things are going to be the way they were when our grandparents came up is just not true. You know, that's just no. a crazy way to look at the world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's stubborn. It is stubborn. But you can't, for example, you know, uh, my parents generation like they would say you know don't get a divorce like just stay together just stick with it mm -hmm. so what happens if you're extremely anxious and unhappy in a relationship and your parents say stay together 
I mean, that's just, I think, unfortunately, you know, I, naturally I think of my grandparents' generation, right? My grandmother just came out to Hawaii to visit with me. My grandfather passed away three years ago now, uh -huh. which is crazy, but she was in a relationship with him since she was incredibly young, married 55, yeah. 60 plus years. And she always said, you know, your generation just gives up on things too easily. And naturally I kind of be like, okay, maybe that's true. But the second part of me is, but did you guys have millions of opportunities at your fingertips, you know, and that's some of the things I think social media brings is if you have the ability to expose yourself to more options, then you can make better decisions. And that's kind of where I heard you talking about the other or a couple seconds ago when you were saying that that's a slippery slope that you deal with because making decisions based on more information and data is intelligent, right? Ignoring opportunity and ignoring additional data doesn't make sense to me. And so when you can make good decisions, when you have more experience, then you can have better long-term relationships like you've referred to a couple of times here. Wow, that's such a, a good and like business way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Data and like choice and like, you know, it's, a, it's very businessy. I love it. Yeah, it's basically that. If you really strip it down to just facts, it's that. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to make better choices because of your experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I find it really difficult to believe that people in our society now, 2022, with all of the internet and streaming and this and that, uh, can find someone they, quote unquote, say their soulmate at like 15 years old, 16, high school is 16, right? Yeah. Uh, and then say like, this is my forever, this is it. And you've literally never had sex with someone else? Like, how do you know? <laughs> I mean, I was even thinking about um, I was on a plane flying back from Seattle yesterday and there was a girl who was sitting next to me and I believe she was in high school, right? And she was um, talking to the lady next to me about her boyfriend and how they're going to be together forever. And the lady who was a little bit older, probably in her fifties was like, oh, that's so nice. She said, where are you going to college? She said, well, I'm going to a school in Massachusetts and he's staying here. And naturally my mind went to the place of thinking, you're going to experience so much more life on the other side of the country and meet people that you never even knew existed and have experiences that you can't even fathom yet. It's interesting that we always have the perspective of I'm in love at 16 or 17 years old and I'll be with this person forever without the data understanding of how much is going to come in the future. You know what I mean? I love that you said data. Yeah. <laughs> without You're very the, on brand. Yeah, exactly. Without yeah. all of the experiences that are going to come down the pipe <laughs> that we can choose from, you know? You can say data. I like data. Yeah, yeah it's true. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to discount people that say they do truly love the person that they've met at 16. That's yeah. fine, man. But statistically speaking, I'm saying statistically speaking, it's unlikely. However, if you do believe it, if you're happy, that's all I care about. I want everyone to be happy and have good sex. Yeah, I agree. And you know, my perspective is I want everybody to be happy. I want you to feel fulfilled mentally as a person. And I think leveraging, like we've talked about a couple of times here, communication in your relationships is incredibly important and continuing to put in the effort in yourself and in your partner makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that combined little data set, if you will, gives you yeah. the opportunity to be happy for sure. Love it. Love it. What a good uh, little sexual communication recap. Yeah. Well, you know, Dr. Tara, it's been amazing having you on the show and having your unique perspective on a lot of the topics that we all think about and we all talk about maybe privately in an open setting is incredibly important because I know a lot of us are thinking about it and a lot of us want to have this conversation. And so can you give everybody who's listening today an understanding of where we can find more about you, how we can follow along with your story and some of the stuff that you have coming up? Yes. So my website is uh, lovebites.co, L-U-V-B-I-T-E-S.co. So does my social media. So my Instagram and TikTok are both lovebites.co. Uh, yeah, you can find me there and learn more about sex and send me a DM if you have a specific sex issue. I do these like live TikTok live Q&A uh, okay. and I answer these questions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show again. It's been an absolute pleasure hosting you. And, you know, I'm sure our friendship is going to only continue to grow from here. And I can't wait to have you back on the show another time someday. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. It's been another episode of the It's Telehealth podcast. Once again, Dr. Tara, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it.